Hello and thank you for tuning in. This is going to be a uh, Federalist Paper episode, Federalist number 14. This one this one is very significant. It's very interesting uh, for all you, you, you know, government dorks out there. You'll enjoy this one for sure. This is much more significant paper amongst all of them. Uh, you know, Madison's going to note some key differences between a Republican and a democracy. So the, uh, the title... Federalist number 14 is Objections to the Proposed Constitution from Extent of Territory Answered. It's written by Madison, uh, November 30th, 1787. Topics include the key differences between republic, a republic and a democracy. Now, this, now he begins the paper, and I quote, We have seen the necessity of the Union as our bulwark against foreign danger as the conservator of peace among ourselves as the guardian of our commerce and other common interests as the only substitute for those military establishments which have subverted the liberties of the old world and as the proper antidote for the disease of faction which have proved fatal to other popular governments and of which alarming symptoms have been betrayed by our own end quote so here what he's doing is he's pretty much wrapping up all of the papers that were before this paper saying we've seen the positives that could happen from Union. Uh, it'll be a strong bulwark or a foundation against uh, foreign danger. It will bring peace amongst all of the states. It will also not subvert our liberties that were subverted in the old world, meaning Europe, uh, it will establish military establishments, but it won't be able to take away those essential liberties. And it is an antidote to the diseases of factions, just in fighting. Now, what he does is he he calls out the dissenters in this paper big time, because there's a lot of dissenters, and the dissenters come from governments in which were monarchical. So he's he's charged with the goal of answering them, that they they currently they've been confounding a republic with a democracy in their disagreements of the proposed constitution as in they are misinterpreting the meaning of the proposed constitution they're misinterpreting a republic versus a democracy so he takes this paper to clear it up now he remarks and i quote in a democracy the people meet and exercise the government in person in a republic they assemble and administer it by their representatives and agents a democracy consequently will be confined to a small spot a republic may be extended over a large region end quote so at this time obviously to have one centralized point of government especially over such a, a vast region like the eastern part of uh, the United States. Because remember, at that point, we only had 13 states. And the states, certain states, like Georgia, was huge. I think Georgia was a combination of also Tennessee and some other states. Maybe a little bit of uh, Mississippi or Missouri. Same thing with Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania was known to be like a much larger state. So he's pretty much saying over this vast amount of land, it really is... Uh, you you can't it's unreasonable and impractical to have a democracy to be able to have all these people meet in one place at one time to vote for for certain policies so it's better to have a representative republic where even Georgia at this time is the furthest away uh, from where these laws would be written in I think in pencil I'm trying to remember the exact name of the building but it was in Pennsylvania where they where they all met. I want to say it was like the convention building or something like that in Philly. So that's where they would go. And 
that being considered, Georgia was the furthest away. So the representatives from Georgia had the farthest distance. Uh, they had the farthest travel. And it would be unreasonable to expect a direct democracy where people that live in Georgia would have to go all the way up to Pennsylvania, uh, Philly to vote. Or even the people that live in Georgia, if they had to meet at this time in a centralized point in Georgia, it's, it's almost unreasonable just because of how far the distance is. So they would go and they would vote in their in their town or their county at this time. And then that person is another representative that then goes to the main hub of the state. And that's the way that our represent, representative republic actually works. And the reason for that is just the distance to travel, uh, you know. And, and also those representatives do, so they're supposed to take an oath on the Constitution and protect those rights. So even if, if the people are really, really voting against their rights, if they vote, they can't, the people cannot vote to take away rights. You can only have the representatives go through a congressional uh, conference and they would need a constitutional amendment in order to do that. So people actually can't, even if they wanted to vote uh, some referendum or something, they can't really do it. It has to be voted through the federal government through a constitutional amendment. And that's the reason for the system. It's supposed to ensure the rights of the citizen. That's the reason for all of that. Now, he remarks, uh, now he characterizes those confusing a democracy with the proposed republic as, and I quote, being subjects either of an absolute or limited monarchy, they have endeavored to heighten the advantages or palliate the evils of those forms by placing in comparison the vices and defects of the republican and by citing as specimens of the latter the turbulent democracies of ancient Greece and modern Italy. Under the confusion of names, it has been an easy task to transfer to a republic observations applicable to a democracy only, and among others, the observation that it can never be established but among a small number of people living within a small compass of territory." End quote. So he's pretty much just saying all of his dissenters right now are, they're confounding the two, they are misrepresenting a republic as a democracy, and these are all people that have, he's saying they've been subjects under a limited monarchy or an absolute monarchy where there is one you know, head that has a lot of the power, holds a very heavy percentage of the power, and they're citing Greece, they're citing Italy, as uh, as republics, when they're really not, they are more like democracies. Now, and he's trying to palliate, as in to make it more digestible, the evils of those forms. Like these people are pretty much on the other side; they're in favor of a monarchy rather than this republic that's trying to be set up. Now he continues, and I quote: "As the natural limit of a democracy is that distance from the central port." point which will be just permit the most remote citizens to assemble as often as their public functions demand and will include no greater number than can join in those functions so the natural limit of a republic is that distance from the center which will barely allow the representatives to meet as often as may be necessary for the administration of public affairs end quote so i think this is the reason why there is a washington dc because dc at that time uh, when they ended up pushing it through, I want to say it was considered the middle of the uh, of the Union at that time. Resident Act organized 1801, so it kind of makes sense. Around 1801, a couple years after the Constitution was ratified at that time, then they pushed through D.C. because then D.C. is where everyone now meets. 
And at that time, D.C. was considered a much more centralized point than Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a little bit more north, so for Georgia, it'd be harder for them to make it up there. But pretty much he's just laying out, uh, Madison's laying out that these these affairs, if, if they want to be able to, a, a republic can go as far as is necessary for their very last representative or their very furthest representative if they can make it out then that's real and if we can put it in a centralized point for all of these representatives to meet then that's the best way that we can run that republic and that's as far and as vast as it can go whereas with a democracy if you're expecting a bunch of people from that live in uh, georgia and i'm not talking about a representative or a couple representatives i'm talking about you know the mass of people to go to you know dc or go to philly to vote it's pretty unreasonable and that's why he points it out that these people that are confounding it is it's it's pretty it's it's disingenuous it's ridiculous so he argues that a democracy wouldn't be a fair system due to the distance like i said of some of the further away states such as a georgia they would not have a say in the national government because the citizens would be unable to travel that far of a distance to congregate Whereas with a republic, you only have to rely on represent, representatives to congregate in a centralized spot, which I just explained. Now, Madison explains the logistics of the republic and compares it to other European countries. And I quote, The mean distance from the Atlantic to the Mississippi does not probably exceed 750 miles. On a comparison of this extent with that of several countries in Europe, the practicability of rendering our systems commensurate to it appears to be demonstrable. It is not a great deal larger than Germany, where a diet representing the whole empire is continually assembled, or than Poland before the late dismemberment, where another national diet was the depository, depository of the supreme power. Passing by France and Spain, we find that in Great Britain, inferior as it may be in size, the representatives of the northern extremity of the island have as far to travel to the National Council as will be required of those of the most remote parts of the Union, end quote. So really what he's saying, he's just he's just comparing the system. Uh, he, he actually, to preface these comments, he starts talking about maps. He starts talking about, well, he's comparing one place to another place and saying the distance between those two places are this much. So then that means that the distance between uh, the distance between the Atlantic and the Mississippi River must be around this much. That's how he, he was he was reading the map for like a full paragraph. I just I mean, I took all that out because so I'm not going to sit here and explain all that to you. You know, but it's interesting the way in which those guys were really able to innovate and figure it out. And, and they're really outside of the box thinkers that they could figure out the amount of distance based on other distances. So what he does is he draws the comparison, Madison, amongst these European countries. And he does actually attribute representatives or representative government to Europe, but he's saying he says later that they don't really necessarily do it to the full extent that this proposed constitution is going to do it. And, you know, this is this is something I've spoken about, but our proposed constitution, our system has never been done before successfully the way in which we've done it. The exact uh, the principles, the values, what it is comprised of is is not been done anywhere else ever. I mean, many have looked at it and tried to do things similar but they miss a lot of these uh, these elements and a lot of these arguments that the founders were able to figure out. Like that the executive shouldn't have as much power as like a king. You know, the the executive should have be able to defend himself against the legislature. 
and and there is this constitution that is that limits it does not give the government a bunch of it limits the government i mean it gives them powers but it does limit the government in a lot of ways and it, and it gives powers to the people so it's never really been done before at that time it's never been done before and and still to this day hasn't been done before so it's pretty impressive now where am i here he says now he acknowledges four other points that would make his argument of a, for a republic a lot stronger. And he starts with the very first one, and I quote, In the first place, it is to be remembered that the general government is not to be charged with the whole power of making and administering laws. Its jurisdiction is limited to certain enumerated objects which concern all the members of the republic, but which are not to be attained by the separate provisions of any. The subordinate governments which can extend their care to all those other subjects which can be separately provided for will retain their duty, authority, and activity. Were proposed by the plan of the convention to abolish the governments of the particular states, its adversaries would have some ground for their objection, though it would be n not be difficult to show that if they were abolished, the general government would be compelled by the principle of self-preservation to reinstate them in their proper jurisdiction, end quote. So here's what, I've harped on this before, but he says this, this federal constitution, it will be charged with the power of making and administering, administering laws, but its jurisdiction is limited to those only enumerated objects that are in the constitution. Like I said before, I don't remember which uh, video it was, but the constitution isn't something that says what the people's rights are particularly but it rather says what the federal government's rights are and the people's and it's it states them in a positive meaning anything that is written in this constitution that's the only powers that are given the it's it's a positive addition those are the only powers that are given to the federal government there's no other powers that are given to them and to the people it works opposite <laughs> It works almost opposite as in it is it is a negative in a way to an extent you know as long as you're not taking someone's property life you know uh, you know hurting somebody else pretty much it is it is stated more in the negative where there is there is a positivity about it and this was something that was actually disagreed upon with the federalists and the anti-federalists they didn't believe in having a bill of rights because the anti-federalists thought by having a bill of rights that future generations will look at it and they would think that they can uh, that they can edit it or they can mix it up or those rights that are in that bill of rights are the only rights that the people hold that's the reason in which the anti-federalists didn't because then they would confound the meaning of the bill of rights which i mean the anti-federalists at this point they seem to be pretty on point with what they're saying because there are especially what's going on right now with governors they pretty much are encroaching on the Bill of Rights, and they don't really care about it. And there's a lot of people, just regular citizens, that will agree with taking away rights as well. And they'll take it as, oh, well, if it's not written in the Bill of Rights, then you don't have the right to it, pretty much, which that's not how it works. The Constitution is negative in its rights towards people, and those extra rights that are in the Bill of Rights, it's it's almost like, thank God that there is a Bill of Rights, because if there wasn't a Bill of Rights, we would have already had all those rights trampled on. The only thing that holds those rights in some sort of uh, semblance at this point 
is that we do have the Bill of Rights. But they are right in a way, uh, the philosophy behind the Anti-Federalists was, was correct, that if you wrote those rights down, then they feel like that, you know, every other thing can be taken from these people as long as it's not written into the Constitution. And that's the reason in which they had the Tenth Amendment, where it said all these rights are held, which, you know what, I'll find it right now, the Tenth Amendment, because it is very important, and it's pertin pertinent, and I think I've referred to it before in uh, prior papers, it's it is important it says here now the the 10th amendment says something like let's see the powers not delegated to the united states by the constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reversed to the states respectively or to the people so pretty much meaning anything that's not given any of these powers that are not listed to the federal government like i said it is positive powers for the federal government anything that is not listed as a positive power to the federal government is given to the to the state respective state governments or to the people and the people really run the state governments the people are supposed to be this this whole uh, you know this principle it's supposed to be self-government so we really are supposed to be representative of the government and it's just a good core principle that they threw. The reason they threw that at the very end was almost like a compromise between the Anti-Federalists and the Federalists at the time. Because they were trying to figure out a way to really not diminish or not to rather limit the rights of the people. And that's the reason that they put that Tenth Amendment in there. Now, the first place... What did I say here? To abolish the government's particular... Yeah, and and the other thing here, he puts at the very end, if we were to abolish, like these guys are saying, like these dissenters are saying, if we were to abolish the state governments and these particular states, and that's really what the dissenters are pushing at, then we would have to reinstate them or re-enlist them because of the principle of a self-preservation. You need all these states, you need all that revenue and that income to come in to fund your military, your army... Uh, your navy as well, and and you need everyone to be unified under one government, because then if foreign nations come in, let's say Georgia isn't in our government, they can just team up with Georgia and try to attack the rest of the nation. So this federal constitution is also it's also incumbent on the federal government. They really it's it's a a give and take. The federal government as well as the states they need each other at this point. That's really what he's alluding to. Now he finds that its jurisdiction lies, and this is. Like I said before, it lies in certain enumerated objects concerning all mem members of the Republic, and these powers aren't to be attained by other, any other states. So whatever is written in that Constitution, those are the powers. Uh, in other words, those are the, the elements of the proposed Constitution will be the listed powers of the federal government, which will apply to all citizens. But the states will also have their powers to administer and enforce their own laws, as long as they do not conflict with that of the federal government. Now, he, Madison, claims that the existence of the federal government is contingent on the existence of the state governments, like I said before. So, second, the, the federal constitution, so this is the second point that, he, that he's pointing to. I think he ends up having four different points of this uh, argument to strengthen the foundation of that republic argument that he's, that he's trying to promulgate. Now, he finds that in the second... The second one, he says the federal constitution helps secure the union of 13 primitive states and to add states. And this is actually important because there was a lot of, at this time, there was a lot of northwestern territory that we held that was undiscovered. And like I said before, Pennsylvania was way bigger. The same thing, I think, with, I think with New York. I think New York was pretty big as well. And Rhode Island 
was it a Rhode Island? No, Connecticut. Connecticut, oddly enough, on the map, Connecticut is like between, I think, New York and Pennsylvania, which really doesn't make any sense because now Connecticut is east of uh, New York at this point, you know, now, current times. So it was very interesting. You know, there was going to be a lot of undiscovered territory or discovered territory. And in, you know, discovering that territory, you may want to have more states, find more states. And then in doing that, they set up a system where all the states have to agree to let that next state into the union or not all of them. I think it's like a three quarters. I'm not exactly sure, but that'll be laid out in one of these papers. Now, third is the establishment of roads, which will facilitate the interstate commerce, the navigation of the waterways, as well as connect, help connect all of these states together. That's just pretty much, uh, like I said, that's for military uh, expediency, really, as well as commerce, interstate commerce, as well as international commerce. So the fourth point, which, I mean, just like the first, the first was a very important point, and I mean, I mean, any constitutional scholars, any Supreme Court justices or court justices that don't recognize exactly what's said in that first point, it's just them not not either glazing over it or uh, not reading it. It's, it's them using their will to enact a law by their own, you know, by their own judicial decisions. And when you take the oath to the Constitution, you're supposed to follow the Constitution. When you don't, it's it should, like I said in the uh, before video, it should end in some sort of a ramification or repercussion of, of a, uh, you know, a, what's it called? They should kick you out. <laughs> so, they should impeach. That's the word I'm looking for. So, the fourth point, and I quote, A fourth and still more important consideration is that as ev almost every state will, on one side or another, be a frontier and will thus find, in regard to its safety, an inducement to make some sacrifices for the sake of the general protection. So the states which lie at the greatest distance from the heart of the Union, and which of course may partake least of the ordinary circulation of its benefits, will be at the same time immediately contiguous to foreign nations and will consequently stand on particular occasions in greatest need of its strength and resources. It may be inconvenient for Georgia or the states forming our western or northeastern borders to send their representatives to the seat of government, but they would find it more so to struggle alone against an invading enemy or even to support alone the whole expense of those precautions which may be dictated by the neighborhood of continual danger. If they should derive less benefit, therefore, from the Union in some respects than the less distant states, they will derive greater benefit from it in other respects, and thus the proper equilibrium will be maintained throughout." End quote. So he's just saying states like Georgia, states that are far in the northeastern or the western region of the United States that have to don't get the exact same benefits as states that are closer to where the federal government is maintained, it will equal out because those states will hold, uh, you know, they will have protection from the Union, they will have protection from a federal military. That's really all he's alluding to there. In conclusion, and this is the very last paragraph, it's pretty epic. I mean, I do like this paper when I when I go to read. I mean, I've read the Federalist Papers maybe three or four times at this point. At this point, it's pretty much my fourth time going through it. 
because I read it the first time, then I outlined it the second time, then I, you know, I wrote my book on the third time from my outline and reread the whole thing doing that. And now this time I'm rereading it to try to put together a, you know, a cogent video for everybody. So now in my fourth time reading it, I have star, you know, I have a bunch of notes. I'll, I'll put little stars, things that I think significant. And this was, I had it start up as a significant paper and I was like, Oh, this is interesting. I haven't actually, I don't remember this one that well. And then I read through it and then I read to the very end and I was like, man, this is, this is why I, uh, this very last paragraph is really why I marked it as a significant paper because he has some epic he has, he has like a full paragraph. It's about almost a full page, but I have some quotes here from it. Now, in conclusion, he holds a paragraph long, like I said, action addressing his dissenters of the proposed Constitution. And he states, and I quote, Hearken not to the voice which petulantly tells you that the form of government recommended for your adoption is a novelty in the political world, that it has never yet had a place in the theories of the wildest projectors that it rashly attempts what it is impossible to accomplish. No, my countrymen, shut your ears against this unhallowed language. Shut your hearts against the poison which it conveys, the kindred blood which flows in the veins of American citizens, the mingled blood which they have shed in defense of their sacred rights. Consecrate their union and excite horror at the idea of their becoming aliens, rivals, and enemies. End quote. Hear what he's saying, in other words, is... You know, you have you have all these these voices that are saying, "Oh, it can't be done because it's never been done before." So this this idea of a self government. He says, "Don't listen to them." This is so, and and like I said, this this harps the same point that I said before: is this is a system that has never been done before successfully, and at this point, it's still never been done before. <laughs> I mean, we're the only ones that have this system set up, this self government system, and this constitution that that really just makes it so strong. And he says, you know, look what we did to get here. Pretty much we fought a revolution. We've, we have kindred blood, meaning that, you know, all these people, we feel like we are family because we fought this, this revolution together and the mingled spirits, uh, this, this mingled blood in which you have shed in defense of their sacred rights and the rights of the people. And if we, this union were to fall apart, this would excite horror. Like these, these people want to, these dissenters want to see it a tumultuous, a chaotic country, essentially. Now, he ends, and this is the best part, I would say, of the entire paper. He ends, and I quote, To this manly spirit, posterity will be indebted for the possession and the world for the example of the numerous innovations displayed on the American theater in favor of private rights and public happiness, had no important step been taken by the leaders of the revolution for which a precedent could not be discovered, no government established of which an exact model did not present itself. The people of the United States might at this moment have been numbered among the melancholy victims of misguided councils, must at best have been laboring under the weight of some of those forms which have crushed the liberties of the rest of mankind. Happily for America, happily, we trust for the whole human race, they pursued a new and more noble course. They accomplished a revolution which has no parallel in the annals of human society they reared the fabrics of government which have no model on the face of the globe they formed the design of a great confederacy which it is incumbent on their successors to improve and perpetuate if their works betray imperfections we wonder at the fewness of them 
if they erred most in the structure of the union, this was the work most difficult to be executed. This is the work which has been new modeled by the act of your convention, and it is that act on which you are now to deliberate and to decide, end quote. So that's really, that's for the very end there when he says deliberate and decide, that is for the ratification, you know, hold that vote and ratify this, this constitution. And when he says posterity, and, and this is the important part, I think he uses the uh, the preamble of the Constitution when he said, I think he, at one point he says, we the people, the people of the United States, he says. Now the posterity, he means the, the future generations, and it's funny because now the future generations at this point tear down our Constitution, they say it needs to be reestablished, they say it needs to be edited, redone over, and these are all people, these are younger people, people that have never even read the Constitution and don't know any of these core principles or these founding values and the reason in which it is the way it is. Now to this, to this like I said, you know, this this is something that has never been done before. No government established of which an exact model did not present itself. It's it's amazing, this system. I don't really even know how we got here. I, I mean, I've been ordering books, Thomas Paine. I've been ordering John Locke because apparently that's where a lot of these principles and these values are derived from those two philosophers. I know the story somewhat of Thomas Paine. He wrote Common Sense. He came over here from, uh, I think, Great Britain because of the time he saw the American Revolution that was going on and he believed in freedom for the Americans. So it's just, we have people that are talking. I mean, I'm not 100% well-read on this stuff. I don't know the exact core and the exact, the exact what it is derived from to the fullest extent. But I can even acknowledge the genius of this Constitution, and it seems like people that are ignorant that have never even read it before, and they've never read it in a book for a uh, history class, history 101, when they were in high school for one day worth of work, they like to act like you know they know what the Constitution says, what it's all about, and it's just, it's <laughs> it's disheartening. That's what it is. It's disheartening. That's the best way to characterize it. Now. He's pretty much saying, and he's he's right. They've accomplished a revolution which no parallel of the annals of human history, human society. And then what does he say that that because of this, for the whole human race, they pursued a new and more noble cause. So for the entire human race, and also for the entire world, if you think about America and how we really drive the economies of all other nations, we build. Uh, you know, we're very innovative. We we make the pharmaceuticals for a lot of these other countries. We have a lot of healthcare innovations. We have made American society or, or the world, the society of the world and the human condition. We have, there's been no other country to advance the human condition more than the United States of America. And we are just getting started. It's only been 250 years. We have other countries, other nations that have been around for a very long time, like a Great Britain. So here he's just he's really just harping on that. Now there's he's he's pretty much saying, "Hey, vote this thing through." You know, uh but that's really it for this paper. It's a pretty epic one. If anybody were to go read, if they were interested in reading it, just I would just read that last paragraph because that really tells you all about the mindset of what was going on at this time. Now, please like, share, subscribe. I would greatly appreciate it if you did on Rumble. Uh, you can. I, I've been posting now my videos on Rumble on my Facebook account. 
Uh, if, if you don't want to my Facebook, it's under the name Michael D'Amato. That is my name. Uh, now, Facebook page is The Federalist Files if you want to view that. I think my... I'm trying to think of what my Twitter handle is. You know, it's unfortunate because I don't have many followers because I don't follow other people really because I'm not interested. I'm only interested really in what the big names say. But my Twitter is Michael underscore D'Amato. If you want to follow me there in Parler, I'm at Michael D'Amato altogether. No underscore. If you're interested in following me there, you get some political opinions. You get some interesting commentary on our political discourse right now if you follow me there. Please, yeah, like I said, please like, share, subscribe. I've been putting everything up on Rumble more than YouTube because YouTube has actually demonetized me from my last video uh, that was uh, criticizing Barack Obama because I criticized Barack Obama. So I had about an hour and 18 minutes of content. It demonetized the whole entire video over the one minute of content in which I recorded uh, Barack Obama speaking to a, uh, what's his name, to Charlemagne. And now that isn't even a copyright infringement, but they'll tell you it is, and they'll tell you it violates their terms of service. A copyright infringement to be absolutely clear because I know this when I went to copyright my book that I wrote. A copyright infringement is something where you are taking, you are directly copying and you are pasting and you are not adding any other art or any other opinion or there is no addition to what you have there in that video. So my commentary alone from that video, that one minute long video makes it now a totally different and distinct thing that is no longer under copyright and no, no longer is protected by a copyright because then otherwise every single video that would ever come out on TV if you're looking at, you know, Fox News if they take a video from let's say CNN and they play it, they can get sued now for copyright. Otherwise, if, if that's the way that we view our copyright laws and and that's that's the way in which we do it, we would be we would have litigation in insane amounts and astronomical amounts of litigation. So essentially, they they really demonetize me because whoever does the manual process of approval at YouTube just disagrees with my probably my heading. And then my the video was within a minute, you know, of the start of the video. So it was very easy. It wasn't somebody that, you know, listened to the entire video because I have had videos before this that were okay and they were monetized and they've had uh, videos of other governors and other, you know, officials. But when you attack the golden calf, Barack Obama of the Democrat Party, the Democrat ilk, then that's what ends up happening to you. You get demonetized, essentially. So that's why now I've been posting Rumble. I still have my things at YouTube, if anybody's interested in viewing me on YouTube. But on Rumble, I don't even... I, I appreciate Rumble because they actually advertise my my videos and they get my name out there. So right now, at this point, I have something like 280, maybe even 300 uh, subscribers on Rumble. Whereas with YouTube, it's something like 19 subscribers i don't get that many views i get way more views on rumble rumble right now they analyze my video and then they monetize it and then they put it up for other viewers to see it in almost like a tinder like system it's actually very cool it's very interesting if you're interested in expanding your horizons on what you watch and you feel like tv you don't have enough of uh, television uh, shows or on netflix you're running out of things that you like to watch go on rumble and what they'll do is they'll show you different profiles and videos and you can swipe left uh, or swipe right. Every time you swipe right, it's considered a rumble, which is similar to a like on Facebook. And you can follow if you want. You can click to follow them, which is the same as a subscription on, on, a, on a YouTube. So it's, it's similar in that way. But it's nice because you can expand your horizons. You can find things and view things that you never thought were out there. 
and it doesn't do what YouTube does. It does not suppress things that they disagree with. So there's video. There's all different. There's dog videos, cat. I mean, there's there's funny stuff on there. Whatever you want to listen to. There's political commentary like me on there. But last time I checked on the Rumble scoreboard, I was something like number 29, and this was my very first video. And I'd like to think that from my very first video that I've advanced and I've become a little bit more experienced at this and a little bit more effective in the way in, in portraying the Federalist Papers. So if that one's, I think I have something like 1,000 1, likes or 1,000 views on my very first uh, Federalist number one on there because they are helping me advertise it, which I appreciate. And then through that, eventually, hopefully I'll build myself up enough where it'll become more, I'll be actually making money off the videos, which isn't my really main intention, but it would be, it would be nice you know all the work that you put into doing this stuff but yeah please like share subscribe uh, you know email me if you have any concerns any criticisms of the podcast any ways i can make it better uh, if you have any news stories you want me to cover too that'd be awesome you know send send me those shoot those to me in an email and i'll cover them if you think that it's it's important that it gets out there let me be the vessel of, you know, of getting the word out to everybody else what's going on. So greatly appreciate everybody. And I humbly, actually, I humbly ask you to watch the video uh, that recently did just come out that I mentioned, that YouTube video that I put out on, I think it was a Sunday special, uh, about the disparaging comments of Barack Obama. It covers some very interesting things, not only... I mean, his comments really speak for the Democrat Party, the way in which they feel about their vote, about voters in general. And I've already I've already covered that to an extent, but that part, and then as well as there's some students in Fairfax County. I think it's in Virginia or it's in Maryland. It's in one of the seven top seven richest counties in the nation. They are failing at astronomical rates now. The increased rate of failing because they are working from home. So it goes to show that, that system does not work for us. It covers that. It covers two hundred dollar uh, magazine, gun magazine high capacity magazine taxation as well as rifle taxation you're gonna get taxed 200 for every single rifle or every single high capacity magazine that you own that's a that's a biden incentive and that's about it so i appreciate everyone for tuning in uh i will see everyone on friday thank you